Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness in our lives. Thank you for an opportunity to contemplate, to consider, and to return to you. You are the source of all our needs, of every question that we should have here upon the earth. We can find in the wealth of your presence the provision our soul longs for. So we pray that you bless your word this morning. Allow it to find place in our hearts. Minister to our spirit. Allow that double-edged sword to pierce between the soul and the spirit so that we might discern these things and live with sobriety. That we might be vigilant and sober in these last days. Father, the times are ripe and the harvest is great. Send those servants to the harvest to bring in the last day's harvest to the house of God. Allow us to be instruments. Renew our mind. Allow your word to take center place in our hearts that we not sin against you and go astray. Prosper your word in our hearts. Make it live and vibrant. Allow the spirit of God to lead us in these last days so that we might walk in a manner that pleases you at all times, in all places, with all people. Be glorified and use us as vessels of honor for these last days, that our thoughts, our words, and our actions would be lined up with your spirit and that you be glorified, O oh God, that this would be a good seed this morning planted in good hearts that would give forth good fruit, a harvest which testifies that we belong to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. As we are thinking about the last days, I love to see what the Bible speaks in 1 Peter 4, 7. It's kind of the question that I always get as a man of God. The question I have is, Pastor, do you think we're living the last days? And I just want to read this verse, which it says, the end of all things is at hand. This was written close to 2,000 years ago. And Peter is letting us know that we are living at the latter part of the generations of the inhabitants of the earth. Remember, the Bible says that two... One day is as a thousand years. So if we have 2,000 years, as two days have passed in God's economy. We, we think it a long time has passed, but it has not in the economy of God. Because once you miss out what God has for you, then eternity sets in. And you're going to be on one side of only two eternities. You'll either be on the side of God, which will be joy and peace in the presence of God, or you'll be on the other side of eternity in darkness, gloom, and torment, which is hell. And so if you see that there's still 
2,000 years have gone since Jesus Christ came to the earth and still there is a multitude of men, women, and children who have not decided for God. There's still people that, that want to contend, dispute. They want to argue. I'm, I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, guess what? At 16, when I was a young teenager, I said, I don't want to be on the wrong side of eternity. What do I need to get saved? And they presented the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I said, I want that. I said, God, I don't know how you're going to do it because my flesh wants to sin. But my spirit wants to please God. So God has promised that he would save us from the guttermost to the uttermost. He's able to save because he's a savior. He has that capacity to bring salvation to all men, teaching us to not walk like the worldly people. So that contrast here in 1 Peter 4, 7 is the end of all things is near. Therefore, be sober and be watchful. The word sober is live in a manner that has balance. Do not allow your feelings to usurp reality. Uh, sobriety is to be able to balance and weigh the, the, the territorial lines of God's blessing. Stay within God's desire. We used to say at youth group, because we were young and we wanted to help the teenagers... Draw a line between right and wrong and then run a million miles in the direction of right. Don't, don't live life right there on the edge because you might be pushed over, tempted over, sensualized your feelings over, and now you're on the wrong side of eternity again. So the end of all things is at hand. That means it's near. It's within reach. Therefore, be serious and watchful. And what I want to attend to this stuff in verse 8 it says since the end of all things is near it says be fervent in love for one another love is the disposition you want to have at the end of the age the opposite of love is selfishness me myself and I what I think what I want what I feel no my friend Start receiving the love of God so that you can see that other people will have a priority. Look at these two things the Bible says. Love God with all your heart and love others as yourself. Uh, wait a second. Be fervent in love. Towards me? No. Towards God and others. That will assure you that you're in the kingdom of God. If you don't have time for God... You're in a wrong course. I, I know several people have said, Pastor, I want to get right with God. I, I, want you, I want to go to church. I want you to come to my house. And every time I invite them to come to the house of God, they don't have time. And every time I invite myself to their house to take God, to pray, to sing, to open the word of God, they don't have time. So the truth of, they don't, they, they're not interested in what God is interested 
So God wants us in the last days, the end of all things is near, be sober, be vigilant, and put on fervent love. These are, the, these are the character attributes that check with the reality of your Christianity. You cannot say that you're a Christian and you're not balanced in truth. You're not vigilant keeping watch. You're not fervent in love. But look what it says, and it's very unusual that this would be the next thing. Verse 9, hospitable to one another. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. We know we need to be fervent in love. We need to be watchful and sober. But this thing about thinking upon others, hospitable to one another, without complaining. You, you'll notice that the people that are complaining is because they're always thinking about themselves. I'll get an amen one day on that one. The people that are always having a miserable time is because they have no thought for others. Uh, this week, I was invited to a Christian program that's going to be launched to Central and South America in Spanish, and they were talking to Pastor, could you come in and talk to us about this phenomena called xenophobia? And, and I was like, I, I really don't want to come in. I, I really, my opinion these days has become too controversial. I, I really rather not go in because when I speak, people get upset because usually what I'm talking about draws a line that they have to move in a certain direction. So I said, I'd rather not go into a program. They said, Pastor Molina, we've been watching your services on social media and we want what we're hearing that's coming out of you. I go, that's strange. Okay, I'm going to go, but... Some people are going to be offended. Some people are going to be upset at what I have to say. So I got to the studio on Wednesday, and they did everything they do to prepare for these TV programs. All the producers were there, the cameramen. They had the set. It was beautiful. And then uh, we started the program, and they asked me the words, what do you think about xenophobia? And, and some people don't even know what that is. It's the fear and hatred of foreigners and it seems to be a problem in our day it seems to be a, a trend issue that's at the forefront of the political discussion in the culture in this generation a xenophobia and it's the fear and hatred of foreigners uh, we don't like strange people we'd rather keep them distant and so when they asked me, Pastor Molina, what do you think about this? I said, this xenophobia is straight from the pit of hell. Because it, it, it involves two things. Hatred, which the, the kingdom of God has no hatred. There's, there's not going to, love is what drives the, those that are coming to heaven. Um, be fervent in love. Let love overtake you. So we don't have hatred and we don't have fear. Xenophobia, the, the word phobia is fear. And the fear of foreigners. We don't have fear because God has not given us a spirit of fear. We, we have an understanding of what this concept is. 
And so that leads to racism. In other words, hatred and fear of people that are different than us. And I just want to establish that, that the devil continues to bring to us humans a manner of words and definition that don't belong in our vocabulary. It doesn't belong in our discussion. Right? When you get to the issue of racism, systematic racism is an issue for people that do not read their Bibles. Why? Because the Bible says that there's only one race. You can't have racism if you understand that God, and I want to read that verse for you, that you might have it next time somebody says, are you racist? So that you can tell them no, because there's not many races. There's only one race, and it's called the human race. And the Bible says in Acts 17, and you go there with me and we'll read together, where God says that he created man from one blood and all the inhabitants of the earth, verse 26, Acts 17, 26, God has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and God has determined the pre-appointed times and boundaries of their earthly inhabitants. So from one blood, God has made every nation of mankind. Now, if you want to follow the devil's narrative of racism, then you will have to begin to divide this mankind, this one race, the human race, into different categories. As I was talking on the program that this is straight from the pit of hell, it's because God did not separate men in categories. That is the devil's work. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, the Bible says, For the accuser of the brethren stands before the throne of God, accusing them before our God day and night, and now he's been cast down. Well, the Greek word accuser of the brethren, I have here in my notes, it's, and you can look it up when you have an opportunity. It's the Greek word katagora. Kata against and gora, the assembly or gathering. So this devil is the one who divides men into different categories. And so he has divided man's unity. God created man to have one spirit, one Lord, in one baptism, in one body. But the devil now plots man in several categories. The skinny against the obese. The white against the black. The brown against the yellow. And it's the devil who comes and divides and makes of the kingdom of God total chaos. And so in this regard, we the people of God have to see things different. And we see them from God's vantage point in Hebrews chapter 1. 
verse 9. Because you have loved righteousness and because you hated lawlessness. In other words, you love the things of God and despise the things that are not from God. Therefore, God has given you a special anointing. You're not in the mix of discussing or exchanging ideas that come from the pit of hell. In other words, the devil wants to engage you in, is there racism in America? Listen, there's not supposed to be racism in any place where the human race is present. Because God created one race. The devil has caused things to be chaotic, dividing men between white and black, rich and poor, Republican and Democrats, all manner of divisions in order to bring confusion because he has that old concept in warfare, um, as you conquer, keep dividing, divide and conquer. Split people against themselves. In a family unit, a husband against a wife. Men against women. Sexual differences. Sexual preferences. But in the kingdom of God, he's created one spirit for all people. And being able to love righteousness and hate lawlessness, we have an anointing that's an oil of gladness that surpasses our surrounding company of companions. We, we have a different disposition if you have the spirit of God in you. So the, the, the host of the program asked me, so why is there Christians that are xenophobes that, that do have fear and hatred of foreigners and strangers? I go, because they don't have the spirit of Christ in them. Because he was the one that told us to love our neighbor. He was the one that showed us in John chapter 4 as he approaches the Samaritan woman and says, I have provision for you, you know not. And he was about, he healed the divide. He bridged the cross. She says, I'm Samaritan and you're Jewish. We're not supposed to talk. And Jesus broke that paradigm and he says, I have a gift for you. How is it you ask me to drink? You're not supposed to. And he says, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd have a different mindset. I have provision for you. I stand not as one that is against you, but I have something for you. So when we're talking about having a different anointing and having a different joy, we're talking about Isaiah 11:2. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us. And when the Spirit of the Lord is upon us, it's a spirit of wisdom. We're not Christians because we go to church. We're Christians because we walk in a different spirit. What's the spirit of a Christian? It's a spirit of wisdom, it's a spirit of understanding, it's a spirit of counsel. You're able to converse with others. It's a spirit of might and not inferiority. It's not a weak stance. The spirit of knowledge, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Verse 3, 
No longer will we delight in judging with our eyes, nor will we be convinced because of what we hear with our ears. Now it's a different thing. We're not driven in the wrong direction. The word of the Lord is a lamp unto our feet. We're talking about things that are super serious that the devil is using to divide the human race and to set everyone in a different category so that we do not love one another, but we hate one another. That's the spirit of the world. What neighborhood do you live in? I live in another neighborhood, so I don't like you. What country do you come from? Because I come from a different country, I don't like you. What language do you speak? We were at a French bakery this weekend, very nice. We were having breakfast, my wife and I, and this bakery was opened up in South Miami. It belongs to a former boxer. He's a, he's, he's a boxer. He must be featherweight because he's very short, tiny, and he was speaking in French. And I told my wife, I'm going to tell him that I feel very uncomfortable him speaking a language I don't know. And she was laughing. Because we get around people that are different and all of a sudden all these feelings start arising. But the Bible says that we're to walk in a different spirit than the world. That we're to, look what it says in verse 4, with righteousness and justice... We judge the poor. We discern what is their need and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. The Lord is moving us in a direction where we line up with the heart of God. 2 Timothy 1.7, we know this verse. God does not give us a spirit of fear. We can't walk in the phobias, xenophobia. I, I, my brother's a psychiatrist. He has a list of a hundred phobias. Uh, pretty much all the phobias. You could be f fearful of cats. You could be fearful of dogs. You could be fearful of rats. You could be fearful of a place that has too many people. I'm fearful for gatherings with um, the multitude, too many people. And there's people that fear being in a place with no one. And the fear of having money, having too much money. The fear of having no money. The fear of flowers. The fear of men. Androphobia. You don't like men. Some women have that. Cast it out in Jesus' name. You don't want to walk in fear. Why? Because God has not given you a spirit of fear. In fact, wherever the devil is influencing you to have a concept of fear, a fear of failure, rebuke them in Jesus' name. Get them out of your life. Get that spirit out of your life. And you say, how could you rebuke me? You say, because God has not given me a spirit of fear, and I don't want to welcome anything God hasn't given me. So verse 7 says, he's not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit that is powerful, and it's full of love. And it gives me a sound mind. Why? Because fear distorts your mind. It makes you see things that are not there. And so we rebuke the spirit of fear in that regard. There's the spirit, the fear of imperfection. The fear of disorder. 
The fear of fire. There's a fear of riding in a car. Imagine that. There's some people take the bus. They don't want to be in a car. The fear of close places. There's a fear of insects. The fear of, of the home. Echophobia. I know some women have that. They don't want to be homemakers. They fear being a wife and a mother and being a woman of God, a woman of virtue. Bibliophobia, fear of books. That's not a good one to have because we need the Bible. We have not been given a spirit of fear. And so xenophobia becomes that fear of the strangers, the fear of the foreigner. And God is telling us to be hospitable in the last days. We just read it, 1 Peter 4, verse 9. Be hospitable to one another. What's that mean? Without grumbling, I want to share something that it's, it's probably taken me some time to share. Because I believe that as you walk in love and as you are hospitable, to those that are foreigners and strangers, you have crossed over from death to life. Now you're not walking like the devil wants you to walk. Um, in Genesis chapter 18, we'll go there very quickly. Abraham and Sarah are waiting for God to answer their prayer. You guys know they're sterile and they're waiting for a son. And as they're waiting on God's promises to come about, there was a, a precursor in obtaining their promise. And it's Genesis 18, verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. So this is an ordinary day in the life of Abraham. He's sitting at the doorway of his tent in the middle of a desert place, and something happens in verse 2. As he looked up, there were three foreigners. Three men were standing, coming across his home. And when he saw them, he ran from his tent door to meet them, and he threw himself on the ground. To welcome them. Like saying, you know something? I have nothing against you. I'm not going to stand in contrast to your best interest. And so this becomes something that the Spirit of God has to teach us. That the strangers and foreigners that come across our pathways are the open doors for God to download heaven's bounty. Abraham saw these three men ran out to them, threw himself on the ground, welcomed them. Verse 3 says, he said, If I find favor in your sight, do not go by my house. Do not pass on and go to the next house. Because there's some truth about being able to be hospitable to strangers that opens the doors of heaven. For those of you that do not have the gift of hospitality, I pray that the Spirit of the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, will fill your hearts with a disposition to tell those that are needy 
Do not go to the next house to find your provision. Why? Because in doing so, as you begin to meet other people's needs, the windows of the heavens will open to meet your needs. And America is great because it's opened its arms to all foreigners that are weary from other lands. That has caused America to prosper like no other people. Our disposition for the foreigner and the stranger in this Christian country. He says, do not pass my house. Please let your eyes find favor. Let me be the one. So verse 4, let me bring a little water. Let me wash your feet. And take rest. Verse 4. I will bring a morsel of bread that you might be refreshed in your hearts. After you have may pass by and as much as you have come to your servant. They said, do as you have said. We welcome your hospitality. We welcome your refreshing. We welcome you expressing what we don't have. So we were talking about Pastor Reza Safa, a great man of God. He, lives, he leaves the Middle East as a Muslim. And he has open doors in a Christian home. I believe it's in Sweden. And he stays in this Christian home as an exchange student. And he begins to observe the Christian presence of that family. And he... Asked Christ to come into his heart because he wanted what that family had. And today, a possible Muslim terrorist with zeal for Islam converted to Christianity because of the hospitality of a Christian family. And now he becomes a powerhouse, man of God, Christian brother, servant of the Lord, because there was a Christian family Walking in the spirit, not of xenophobia, but in the love of Christ. It causes those barriers that the devil has lifted up to come down. And so Abraham says, let me bring you a little bit of bread. Let me bring a little bit of water. Let me get you something to be refreshed. Verse 5, on your way. And they say, do as you have said. Verse 6, he needs a teammate. And Abraham's teammate is his wife. So Abraham hurried back into his tent and he told his wife, Sarah, quickly, make three measures of fine meal. Make some bread, knead it, and make a cake. You imagine that you have a wife that has no desire to be hospitable? Go to your mother's house and have the party. We're not going to welcome anybody. There's only room in this house for me, myself, and I. I'm going to eat, and then my son's going to eat, and then we're going to die. But the widow was able to refresh Elijah, and the, the flour in house never ran out during the famine. These are principles of the word of God, and, and we have become so centered in ourselves, in our families, in the things we're familiar with, we have lost the blessing of heaven. He says to his wife, quickly, 
make some provision. Verse 7, then he ran to his herd and he took the tender and good calf and gave it to a young man to prepare a barbecue. Let's, let's make a banquet table for these three men that are going across our life that we might refresh them, that we might give them of what we have. I, I figured something out years ago. You can't give what you don't have. But you are expected to give of what you do have. Quit hoarding. Quit keeping to yourself the things God has given you because there's a principle in the kingdom. Give and it shall be given to you. You're not going to give unto you, press down, shaken together, running over, if you are not walking in hospitality. In the last days, everything is said so that we not walk in the love of God. We're walking in xenophobia. We fear everyone in every direction. We have no heart for anyone. He says he prepared out of the herd the best and he began to prepare it. Choice. Verse 8, he then brought some curds of milk. He made a flan. He was preparing tres leches. He was being a source of refreshing and encouragement to a complete stranger and set it before them. When he had all things prepared, he set it before them and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Just watching. If I refresh the needs of complete strangers, I know my God is watching. My God sees. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, 2 Chronicles 16.9. Let me see if that's it. This is a powerful verse that says that the eyes of God are over all the earth. God is watching from the heavens. His eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth, showing him strong, manifesting his strength and power on behalf of those whose heart are loyal to him. God is wanting to show that as you refresh others, God refreshes you. And if you don't have that in your economy, the devil has stripped you of your greatest gain and expressions of joy. Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not neglect showing hospitality. Do not forget to entertain strangers. Do not forget to address those that are in need, for by doing so, some have unknowingly entertained angels. That God might send an angel dressed as someone who's in need just to find out where your heart is. And your heart is in the disposition of loving others over yourselves. That's the difference of the Spirit of God. As he sat over and watched them eat, verse 9, Genesis 18, 9, they asked, where is your wife? Maybe, maybe they were on assignment. Was Abraham ready for the promise of God? They said to him, where is your wife? So he says, here in the tent. Verse 10, those three strangers 
were sent from God. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behind, and behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening through the tent of the Lord, through the tent of the door which was behind him. As the pronouncement came, you're going to have a son this year at the same time, next year at the same time. So look how it is that God begins to bless Abraham with a promise when his heart was ready to be hospitable. What's that mean? To give to the need of those that were around him. A lot of people don't live in that world. They live in a take world and not a give world. For those that wanted the verse, I believe it's Luke 6, 38. You want to make sure that you're in this economy. Give and it will be given to you. This is a lot of people hate coming to church because they're like, I don't want to go to church because they're going to ask me to give. That'll be the best day in your life, my friend. Then you'll stop being stingy to your wife and children. The best day of your life would be the day that God gives you the spirit of hospitality because that means that God would give you in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. He will put into your bosom for with the same measure that you use to give, it will be measured back to you. You imagine that you cannot outgive God that you don't know the spirit of God, that God wants you to dwell together. As I read Matthew 25, verse 35, he says, for I was a stranger and you welcomed me. That's one of the parameters to get into heaven. Matthew 25, 35. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a foreigner and you took me in. Recall some years ago, Yvette and I took in a homeless drug addict prostitute. And nobody wanted to take her in. Nobody wanted her to sleep in their bed sheets. Nobody wanted her to sit at the table and eat their food. I had to put away all the kitchen knives. I thought she was going to stab my children at night. They were small. They were young. We brought her into our home. We loved on her. Ten days later, she says, I got to leave. I said, why? Because this place is, has too much Jesus. Is Jesus here, Jesus there, Jesus everywhere? Here is Jesus, there is Jesus, everywhere is Jesus? She says, I can't take it no more. The love of God is too profound. Open the windows of the heavens. I was concerned that she was going to go commit suicide, that she didn't feel welcome, that she didn't feel, she felt rejected. I wasn't going to put her in a hotel because that would have been distancing her from the legitimacy of the gospel I was preaching. So we're talking about these things because they're things close to the heart of God. Psalm 133 verse 1. Behold how good and blessed it is for the brethren to dwell together. I was reading this verse. I said brethren dwell. That's brethren is many people. Dwell, you can't dwell alone. Together means with other people. Unity means a lot of people. There's a lot of stuff going on here in one verse. The brethren dwell together in unity. How incredible it is. Why? Verse 3, it says, there is where God pours out 
He commands blessing and eternal life in abundance. But if you have a tendency of cowering from people, be careful, they're knocking on the door. Turn off the lights. Don't let them know anybody's home. Oh, we haven't done groceries here in six months. You are closing up the doors of heaven over your family and over your life. And so in the kingdom of God, we have not been given a spirit of fear. We are not accusing the brethren. Revelation 7, 9 says, as we looked in, in heaven, as, as John looked, after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations... Every tribe was there, every people, every tongue, standing before the throne of God. I was in Jerusalem, in Nazareth, in Israel, and, and a Muslim came up to me, he wanted me to buy some souvenirs. I said, no, I want to give you a gift named Jesus. He says, I'm not supposed to, I'm Muslim. I said, I don't care. He knocketh on the door of your heart. You better let him in. Welcome him to come in. Let me pray with you to welcome Jesus into your heart. He bowed his head and prayed with me and received Jesus Christ as Lord. And we both began to dance with joy because salvation had come to a man because there was no xenophobia. There was no fear of strangers. The Bible says nation shall rise against nation in the last days. That word nation is ethnos, ethnos, ethnicities, will rise against ethnicities in the last days. Why? Because it's the, devil, it's the devil's strategic scheme to try to destroy the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, come unto me, all those that are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He didn't say Cubans only. Nicaraguans only, Venezuelans only, Colombians only. He says, come all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Before the throne of God, every nation, tribe, people, and language, and they all were wearing white robes. Verse 9, verse 10. And they cried out loud saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. These strangers were able to come to salvation in Christ. And so in the kingdom of God, we don't spread hate, we spread love. We are not surprised. 1 John chapter 3, verse 13. We're not, we're not surprised that the world hates us. Do not marvel if the world has definitions like xenophobia and racism and systematic racism. Those are all definitions of those who walk with the devil. In the kingdom of God, it's love. That is the stature. The good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, he had all the religious, all the priests, all the scribes. And they all walked across the Samaritan who was beaten up by thieves. But the good Samaritan stopped and he paid for 
He healed him. He put bandages. He poured out the oil and the wine. And he took him to the inn and he paid for his stay. That's what we're talking about today. I want to walk in the spirit of Christ. I want to know 1 John 3.14. I have passed from death style to lifestyle. If the world hates us, we're not surprised. But we know that we have passed from death style to lifestyle because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. He's seeking his own. 1 John 2.10, the one who loves selfishly, the one who walks only looking at his own needs, he who loves his brother abides in light. And there's no cause for him to stumble. Verse 11. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The Lord has opened our eyes this morning. He's given us an understanding. Some people say, well, pastor, I'm going to open my doors of my house tonight a thousand percent. John chapter 10, verse 9. He says, I am the door. Jesus says he's the door for a reason. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find provision, find pasture. The people of God today are the resource provision for those that are needy. We're not, we don't need, we got all things. God has given us all things to give to others. But when Jesus says, I'm the door, the door has a function. Listen very carefully. The door's function is to welcome invited guests and to keep thieves out. There's a mindset of Christianity is I'm going to bring all these people to my house so they could rape my daughter and they could abuse my sons and they could strip me of my possessions. No, my friend, walk in wisdom. Their xenophobia is not keeping the stranger out, but it's also not allowing the thief and the murderer and the liar to come in. If anyone doesn't have the spirit of Christ, you're not to let him stay at your house. Look what it says, verse 10. For the thief comes right after the door. He says the door is there because the thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So when we're talking about xenophobia, it's not only that I don't hate the stranger, I don't fear the stranger, but I don't walk in foolishness either. I walk in wisdom. I want to know that God is leading me into the purpose of hospitality in the last days. That my heart not grow weary and hardened against the necessity of those that surround me. I want to continue to highlight this in the Festival of Tabernacles, which is the Festival of Sukkot. This year it will be in September once a year, God told his people, Exodus twenty two twenty one. do not mistreat or oppress the foreigner, for you also were foreigners in Egypt. What's that mean? Every year, the Lord tells his people they're to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Sukkot. They're supposed to live in a, in a hut, a shed that's made out of palm branches, 
to recall what it was the time that they were strangers and foreigners. And during that feast, they're to be hospitable to a stranger because it will open the heavens in the time of the harvest when God is providing for you. Make sure that you have provision for the needy. Give to others what they lack, what they need. And I want to challenge you, those that are not hospitable and not generous and not giving and not attending to the needs of those around them, the heavens are closed over you. You will not receive, like Abraham and Sarah, what they, what they were waiting for in their son until your heart opens up to others. That others is super important. Love God and love others and you fulfill the entire law and the prophets. You're able to walk in the purpose of God in a great measure. I want to finish this morning by reminding you that God has great things in the coming days, but it's consistent with Matthew 22, 34. Love God and love others. When the spirit of God is upon you, xenophobia is not consistent in your conversation. Racism does not exist. Others find you as a place of provision, of rest. You no longer see men based on their sex, gender, class, social class, economic class, political class. You are one of those that belong in the kingdom of heaven. You're one of those that is a resource for all these groups that are trying to find rest for their souls. You're the one that walks in love and not in discord. You're the one that has the spirit of God. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for this day that you have made for us to rejoice and be glad. The end of all things is near. Let us be vigilant and sober. Let us be fervent in love and let us be hospitable without grumbling and complaining. Open the windows of the heavens over your people. Allow us to walk in your perfect provision, which is abundance. Not only the sufficiency of what we need, but a greater measure so that we could also be generous to those that are around us. That in our lips, in our hearts, and in our mind would be the need of those that are walking in less resource and walking in the necessities of different issues that we would be the instrument of God to welcome them, to provide the milk and honey, to provide the cakes, the, the baked goods, the best fillets. Allow us to refresh others, Lord, that you also from the heavens might see us and refresh us with the same generosity and hospitality and spirit of good cheer. In Jesus' name we pray, and the house of God says, amen, and amen, and amen. God bless you. I love you in the Lord, and I know that in Christ, and in his word, and through his spirit, you will overcome. In Jesus' name, God bless you.